You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Tonight's reader is um, a poet in his own right. He's also a storyteller and an actor and a gentleman who contributes greatly to the cultural life of our community. Please give a big Monterey welcome to Taylor Thomas. since dawn and lay down to rest on a bare hillside above the ocean. I saw through half-shut eyelids a vulture wheeling high up in heaven, and presently it passed again, but lower and nearer, its orbit narrowing. I understood then that I was under inspection. I lay death still and heard the flight feathers whistle above me and make their circle and come nearer. I could see the naked red head between the great wings, bare, downward, staring. I said, my dear bird, we are wasting time here. These old bones will still work. They are not for you. But how beautiful he looked gliding down on those great sails. How beautiful he looked veering away in the sea light over the precipice. I tell you solemnly that I was sorry to have disappointed him. (laughs) To be eaten by that beak and become part of him, to share those wings and those eyes. What a sublime end of one's body. What an ensquiment. What a life after death. Still the mind smiles at its own rebellions, knowing all the while that civilization and the other evils that make humanity ridiculous remain beautiful in the whole fabric, excesses that balance each other like the paired wings of a flying bird, misery and riches, civilization and squalid savagery, mass war and the odor of unmanly peace. Tragic flourishes above and below the normal of life. In order to value this fretful time, it is necessary to remember our norm, the unaltered passions, the same colored wings of imagination that the crowd clips, in lonely places new grown the unchanged lives of herdsmen and mountain farms, where men are few, and few tools, a few weapons, and their dawns are beautiful. From here for normal, one sees both ways, and listens to the splendor of God, the exact poet, the sonorous antistrophe of desolation to the strophe multitude. You may have noticed that this is a big book. <laughs> Good for the big read. There are these are not copies of the same book, but the five volumes, five volumes, <laughs> and uh, they're a pleasure to handle. 
broken pillar of the wing jags from the clotted shoulder. The wing trails like a banner in defeat. No more to use the sky forever, but live with famine and pain a few days. Cat nor coyote will shorten the week of waiting for death. There is game without talons. He stands under the oak bush and waits the lame feet of salvation. At night, he remembers freedom and flies in a dream. The dawns ruin it. He is strong and pain is worse to the strong. Incapacity is worse. The curs of the day come and torment him at distance. No one but death, the Redeemer, will humble that head. The intrepid readiness, the terrible eyes. The wild God of the world is sometimes merciful to those that ask mercy, not often to the arrogant. You do not know him, you communal people, or you have forgotten him. Intemperate and savage, the hawk remembers him. Beautiful and wild, the hawks and men that are dying remember him. I'd sooner accept the penalties, kill a man than a hawk. But the great red tail had nothing left but unable misery from the bone too shattered for mending, the wing that trailed under his talons when he moved. We had fed him six weeks. I gave him freedom. He wandered over the foreland hill and returned in the evening, asking for death, not like a beggar, still eyed with the old implacable arrogance. I gave him the lead gift in the twilight. What fell was relaxed. <coughs> Owl downy, soft feminine feathers. But what soared? The fierce rush, the night herons by the flooded river cried fear at its rising before it was quite unsheathed from reality. Inside a cave in a narrow canyon near Tassajara, the vault of rock is painted with hands. A multitude of hands in the twilight, a cloud of men's palms, no more, no other picture. There's no one to say whether the brown, shy, quiet people who are dead intended religion or magic, or made their tracings in the idleness of art. But over the division of years, these careful signs manual are now like a sealed message saying, look, we also were human. We had hands, not paws. All hail you people with the cleverer hands, our supplanters in the beautiful country. Enjoy her a season, her beauty, and come down and be supplanted for you also are human. <coughs> so that was how many thousands of years ago, we don't know. On this one, we don't know either. It's called Tor House. If you should look for this place after a handful of lifetimes, perhaps of my planted forest, a few may stand yet. Dark-leaved Australians, or the coast cypress, haggard with storm drift. But fire and the axe are devils. Look for foundations of sea-worn granite. My fingers had the art to make stone love stone. You will find some remnant. But if you should look in your idleness after 10,000 years, it is the granite knoll on the granite and lava tongue in the midst of the bay, by the mouth of the Carmel River Valley. These four will remain in the change of names. You will know it by the wild sea fragrance of wind, though the ocean <coughs> may have climbed or retired a little. 
You will know it by the valley inland that our sun and our moon were born from before the poles changed. And Orion in December evenings was strung in the throat of the valley like a lamp-lighted bridge. Come in the morning, you will see white gulls weaving a dance over blue water, the wane of the moon their dance companion, a ghost walking by daylight, but wider and whiter than any bird in the world. My ghost you needn't look for. It is probably here, but a dark one, deep in the granite, not dancing on wind with the mad wings and the day moon. So he mentioned his ghost, and there's a poem called Ghost. give you more specifics about this particular ghost. <clears throat> ghost. There is a jaggle of masonry here on a small hill above the gray-mouthed Pacific, cottages and a thick-walled tower, all made of rough sea rock and Portland cement. I imagine Fifty years from now, a mist-gray figure moping about this place in mad moonlight, examining the mortar joints, pawing the parasite ivy. Does the place stand? How did it take that last earthquake? Then someone comes from the house door, taking a poodle for his bedtime walk. <laughs> the dog snarls and retreats. The man stands rigid, saying, who are you? What are you doing here? Nothing to hurt you, the ghost answers. I am just looking at the walls that I built. I see you have played hell with the trees that I planted. <laughs> he answers, there has to be room for people. My God, that still. <laughs> Practical people <clears throat> do not believe in ghosts. <clears throat> Practical people, <clears throat> I have been told weary of the sea, for his waves go up and down endlessly to no visible purpose. <laughs> Tire of the tides, for the tides are tireless. The tides are well content with their own march tune and nothing accomplished is no matter to them. It seems wasteful to practical people. And that the nations labor and gather and dissolve into destruction, the stars sharpen their spirit of splendor, and then it dims and the stars darken, and that the spirit of man sharpens up to maturity and cools dull with age, <coughs> dies and rusts out of service, and all these tidal gatherings, growth and decay, shining and darkening, are forever renewed, and the whole cycle impenitently revolves, and all the past is future, make it a difficult world for practical people. <laughs> Post-mortem. <coughs> Happy people die whole. They are all dissolved in a moment. They have had what they wanted. No hard gifts. The unhappy linger a space, but pain is a thing that is glad to be forgotten. But one who has given his heart to a cause or a country, his ghost may spaniel it a while, disconsolate to watch it. I was wondering how long the spirit that sheds this verse will remain when the nostrils are nipped, when the brain rots in its vault or bubbles in the violence of fire to be ash in metal. I was thinking the ghost would not care but be here. Long sunset shadow in the seams of the granite, 
and forgotten the flesh, a spirit for the stone. Happy people die whole. They are all dissolved in a moment. <laughs> <clears throat> the day is a poem. Here, the day was extremely hot. About noon, a south wind like a blast from hell's mouth spilled a slight rain on the parched land. And at five, a light earthquake danced the house. No harm done. Tonight I have been amusing myself watching the blood-red moon droop slowly into black sea through bursts of dry lightning and distant thunder. Well, the day is a poem, but too much like one of Jeffers's, <laughs> crusted with blood and barbaric omens, painful to excess, inhuman as a hawk's cry. This one happened uh, a number of years ago on October the 27th, and uh, it was not, it was by Jeffers, but it was not uh, like Jeffers, so he never published it. It's called October 27th, Lunar Eclipse, 98% on the calendar. The moon went naked tonight. She thought she was hid in the earth shadow. Shy and so trustful, she drew off the shining veil. Slowly, slowly, from the dove breasts to the white feet, all her pearly body, breathing and bare, stood undefended. One saw again how much more beautiful is beauty when the jewels and shining clothes are laid down. One of Jefferson's favorite times around the peninsula, especially around Carmel, <coughs> was uh, after Pearl Harbor, when he said that months and months and years after Pearl Harbor. <coughs> Meanwhile, he says, our prudent officers have cleared the coast long ocean of ships and fishing craft, the sky and plains the windows of light. These clearings make a great beauty. Watch the wide sea. There is nothing human. Its gulls have it. Watch the wide sky all day clean of machines. Only at dawn and dusk one military hawk passes high on patrol. Walk at night in the blackout. The firefly lights that used to line the long shore are all struck dumb. Shut are the shops. Mouse dark the houses. Here the pre-human dignity of night stands as it was before and will be again. Also in October, but you don't require a blackout for this. This happens every October. Every October, millions of little fish come along the shore, coasting this granite edge of the continent on their lawful occasions. But what a festival for the sea fowl. What a witch's Sabbath of wings hides the dark water. The heavy pelicans charge like Job's friend's war horse and dive from the high air. The cormorants slip their long black bodies under the water and hunt like wolves through the green half-light. Screaming, the gulls watch, wild with envy and malice, cursing and snatching, what hysterical greed, what a filling of pouches. The mob hysteria is nearly human. These decent birds, as if they were finding gold in the street. It is better than gold. It can be eaten. <laughs> the beach. Pick your beach. He just calls this one the beach. Moon 
white dunes and water like violets, the days of sun, or like a dove's breast, the dark ones. Each year, one bather dies in the violet beauty of the water, keeps the bay young. How did you fast when men were few and not playful? No pits nor whirlpools in the violet water. The tides are clear as breathing, the tall waves honest, the sun in their hollows. No hidden currents nor secret suctions. Every summer, one bather. No secret currents, but a secret desire. I have seen a mother with the yellow-gray hair crossing in strings the convulsed face from the violet water go babbling up the white dune. <coughs> I have seen a young wife scream on the beach, writhing among the bystanders. They held her with their hands. It takes the game, and its face not changes. It is fed. It is greater than man and much more beautiful. It is fed with the thin infusion of one young life in the water. Oh, how did you fast, you water like violets, when men were few and not playful, brown fishers of the ebb, not one in ten years. How you will feast in the thronged years coming. The exuberance of women makes you so many playfellows. You choose among thousands. Steve Mortensen has just arrived, and I wish uh, to ask uh, whether it is to your convenience to uh, do the approximately 15 or 20 minute set with music right now and return to your active duty, or would you like to? Uh, <laughs> However you want to do it. Okay, we'll close on it then. Got a few more minutes of these things, and then uh, here's a little drama, Big Sur, called Steelhead. Actually, the whole title is Steelhead Wild Pig, the Fungus. <laughs> but this is only the steelhead portion. The sky was cold, December blue with great tumbling clouds, and the little river ran full but clear. A bare-legged girl in a red jersey was wading in it, holding a five-tined hay fork at her head's height. Suddenly she dartled it down like a heron's beak and, panting hard, leaned on the shaft, looking down passionately her gypsy lean face, then stooped and dipping one arm to the little breast, she drew up her catch great hammered silver steelhead with the tines through it and the fingers of her left hand hooked in its gills, her slender body rocked with its writhing. She took it to the near bank and was dropping it behind a log when someone said quietly, I guess I've got you, Vina. She gasped and looked up at a young horseman half hidden in the willow bushes. She'd been too intent to notice him and said, my God, I thought it was the game warden. <laughs> Worse, he said, smiling. This river's ours. You can't get near it without crossing our fences. Besides that, you mustn't spear them. And three, four, you little bitch, that's the fifth fish. She answered with her gypsy face, take half of them, honey. I love the fun. He looked up and down her taper legs, red with cold, and said fiercely, you're fun to kill them and leave them rotting. Honey, let me have one of them, she answered. You take all the rest. He shook his blonde head. You'll have to pay a terrible fine. She answered, laughing. Don't worry, you wouldn't tell on me. He dismounted and tied the bridle to a bow, saying, nobody would. I know a lovely place deep in the willows full of warm grass, safe as a house where you can pay it. Her body seemed to grow narrower suddenly, both hands at her throat, and the cold thighs pressed close together while she stared at his face. It was beautiful, 
long, heavy-lidded eyes like a girl's. I can't do that, honey. I, she said, shivering. Your wife would kill me. He hardened his eyes and said, let that alone. Oh, she answered. The little red hands came down from her breast and faintly reached toward him, her head lifting. He saw the artery on the lit side of her throat flutter like a bird and said, you'll be sick with cold, Vina, and flung off his coat and folded her in it with his warmth in it and carried her to that island in the willows. He warmed her bruised feet in his hands. She paid her fine for spearing fish and another for taking more than the legal limit and would willingly have paid a third for trespassing. He sighed and said, you'll owe me that. I'm afraid somebody might come looking for me or my coat break his bridle. She moaned like a dove, oh, oh, whew, you are beautiful, you. They returned to the stream bank. There, while Vina put on her shoes, they were like a small boy's, all stubbed and shapeless. Hugh Flodden strung the five fish on a willow rod through the red gills and slung them to his saddle horn. He led the horse and walked with Vina, going partway home with her. A little uh, autobiographical uh, material from Robinson Jeffers himself, who will admit this much. I was born. <laughs> I'd rather be a worm and a wild apple than a son of man, but you, we are what we are. I was born. In Pennsylvania, January 10th, 1887, my parents lugged me to Europe several times while I was a child. I was too young to remember much but the seasickness. When I was nine years old, my father began to slap Latin into me, literally, with his hands. And when I was 11, he put me in a boarding school in Switzerland, a new one every year for four years, then he brought me home and put me in college as a sophomore. I graduated accordingly at 18. Not that I was intelligent, but by sporting my languages and avoiding mathematics. <laughs> then I took postgraduate studies in English and European literatures, even a little forestry, finally three years in medical school, not knowing what else to do, and then drifted into mere drunken idleness. I was married in 1913. In 1914, we came to Carmel, having heard that it was a beautiful place. In 1916, our twin sons were born. In 1919, we built a little stone house here. Further dates, books, published, etc., may be found in Who's Who. <laughs> I wrote verses ever since I was eight years old, but they were no good. I still try to avoid meeting people and find it practically impossible to answer letters. I still do stonework, granite sea boulders, to enlarge our house, for there are several grandchildren. I still live in the same place and open my eyes every morning on the same rocks and ocean, ever new under the restless weather and flighty sea fowl. Recreations. Stone masonry, dog walking, intervention in dog fights, <laughs> and the art of being a grandfather. Jeffers was on the cover of Time Magazine in 1932. He planted uh, over a thousand, according to some several thousand trees in Carmel Point. He has a face on a stamp that is worth either nine cents or eight cents. <laughs> and as a young man, he was an amateur wrestler. He was a heavyweight champion of Southern California. Uh, wrestlers have a low sense of gravity, uh, center of gravity. He's lean and strong, and he used the wrestling skills to roll the boulders up from the sea uh, with his own power using no engines, boulders bigger than this one. <laughs> when they arrived, first time uh, Robinson and Una saw Carmel, they knew they had found the place where they belonged. Jeffers says, when the stagecoach topped the hill from Monterey and we looked down through pines and sea fogs on Carmel Bay, it was evident that we had come without knowing it to our inevitable place. They kept looking south, and the south coast was enticing. Uh, by December, they wanted to go down there, see more of the coast. They rode the horse-drawn mail stage down to Big Sur. 
1914. The road, where they went all the way down to where the road ended, and Jeffers says, it was night before we arrived. And every mile of the 40 had been enchanted. We and our dog were the only passengers on the mail stage. We were young and in love. Perhaps that contributed to the enchantment. And the coast had displayed all its winter magic for us, drifts of silver rain through great gorges, clouds dragging on the summits, storm on the rock shore, sacred calm under the redwoods. He said, we were young and in love. Perhaps that contributed to the enchantment. Elsewhere, he merely says, youth is a troublesome, but a magical thing. <laughs> there is little more to say for it when you've said young bones knit easily. <laughs> well, they went down there long before the coast road was made, and once it was made, uh, Jeffers caught a glimpse of a horseman going up there one time before the road was quite finished. And he said it was a horseman high alone as an eagle on the spur of the mountain over Mirmas Canyon draws rain, looks down at the bridge builders, men, trucks, the power shovels, the teeming end of the new coast road at the mountain's base. He sees the loops of the road go northward, headland beyond headland, into gray mist over Fraser's Point. He shakes his fist and makes the gesture of wringing a chicken's neck, scowls, and rides higher. Okay, Jean, back into the dark, please. <laughs> Harder than granite. It is a pity the shock waves of the present population explosion must push in here, too. They will certainly, within a century, eat up the little woods I planted and throw down my stonework. Only the little tower, four-foot-thick walled and useless, may stand for a time, that and some verses. It is curious that flower-soft verse is sometimes harder than granite, tougher than a steel cable, more alive than life. And this, uh, well, part of this happened, uh, this is an, an actual event which occurred mostly in uh, Jeffers' Tower, but elsewhere, as you'll see, uh, it's not by Jeffers, but it is uh, the truth. It is called The Day Jeffers went over the side. One day, Jeffers went over the side of his tower, holding a rope, lowering himself into position to inspect his stonework. He was observed, half a mile east-southeast, standing on the roof of the Carmelite monastery. One tall nun looks through her field glasses at Jeffers with his rope going over the side of his tower in the silent distance. The nuns have taken a vow of silence. <laughs> but this one tall nun with her field glasses standing on the roof lifts the cry, call the cops. <laughs> Jeffers is hanging himself. <laughs> And the nuns call the cops, and the cops come to save Jeffers, but he's fine. He greets them in the garden and gives them whiskey. The tall nun with the field glasses is demoted by the mother superior, becomes one point less holy, and is a better woman for it. Okay, Jean. Thank you. <laughs> and this one occurs just a few feet from the tower, where if you're inside looking out, you can see what's happening. If you're very close outside, you can see it's called the shears. A great dawn color rose 
widening the petals around her gold eye, peers day and night in the window. She watches us, lighting lamps, talking, reading, and the children playing and the dogs by the fire. She watches earnestly, uncomprehending, as we stare into the world of trees and roses, uncomprehending. There is a great gulf fixed. But even while I gaze and the rose at me, my little flower-greedy daughter-in-law walks with shears, very blonde and housewifely, through the small garden, and suddenly the rose finds herself rootless indoors. Now she is part of the life she watched. So we, death comes and plucks us. We become part of the living earth and wind and water we so loved. We are they. Still, the mind smiles. Jeffers did not mention in his autobiography, but his biographers sometimes make much of it, that his father was uh, renowned for his skill from the pulpit. His father was a, a theologian, a classical scholar, and a preacher, a Calvinist preacher. And uh, Jeffers, I think, as a small boy, looked up and heard his father thundering and possibly would thunder uh, something like this had he any propensity at all to stand up and thunder. <laughs> so these are all quotations from Jeffers from the pulpit. <clears throat> Truly men hate the truth. They'd rather meet a tiger on the road. Therefore the poets honey their truth with lying. But religion vendors and political men pour from the barrel new lies on the old and are praised. The bloody sire, it is not bad. It is not bad. Let them play. Let the guns bark and the bombing plane speak his prodigious blasphemies, it is not bad, it is high time. Stark violence is still the sire of all the world's values. What but the wolf's tooth whittled so fine the fleet limbs of the antelope? What but fear winged the birds and hunger jeweled with such eyes the great Goshawks Head, violence has been the sire of all the world's values. So many blood lakes. We have now won two world wars, neither of which concerned us. We were slipped in. We have leveled the powers of Europe that were the powers of the world into rubble and dependence. We have won two wars, and a third is coming. This one will not be so easy. We were at ease while the powers of the world were split into factions. We've changed that. We have enjoyed fine dreams. We have dreamed of unifying the world. We have unified it against us. <laughs> Two wars and they breed a third. Now guard the beaches, watch the north, trust not the dawns, probe every cloud, build power. Fortress America may yet for a long time stand between the east and the west like Byzantium. As for me, laugh at me, I agree with you. It is a foolish business to see the future and screech at it. One should watch and not speak. And patriotism has run the world through so many blood lakes. And we always fall in. 
Our business is to feed and to defend freedom. It is not our business to meddle in the feuds of nations, to provoke attacks, start wars. We have blood enough, but not for this folly. Let no one believe that children a hundred years from now in the future of America will not be sick from what our fools and unconscious criminals are doing today. Octum est. There is no returning now. Who has kissed fate on the mouth and blown out the lamp must lie with her. Still, the mind smiles. Jeffers' father, who uh, was a clergyman during the uh, Civil War, or the War of Northern Aggression, uh, did serve on the battlefield and tended troops and acted uh, as, a, uh, as a helper, a friend, and a nurse. And I think he'd had enough. Thomas and Jeffers thought so. Few words on uh, Jefferson's wife, Yuna. Uh, I once attended a garden party at the Tor House and saw uh, two ladies, very distinguished characters, <coughs> pinkies properly extended, extended from teacups, and one was saying, and well, Una planted this over there, and the other one said, Yuna. And the first one said, Una. <laughs> the second said, Yuna! Una! And then uh, Jeffers' granddaughter, red-haired Yuna Jeffers, approached and said, I am Yuna. <laughs> My nature is cold and undiscriminating. She excited and focused it, gave it eyes and nerves and sympathies. She never saw any of my poems until it was finished and typed, yet by her presence and conversation, she has co-authored every one of them. Sometimes I think there must be some value in them, if only for that reason. She is more like a woman in a Scotch ballad, passionate, untamed, and rather heroic, or like a falcon, than any ordinary person. I built her a tower when I was young, Sometime she will die. I built it with my hands. I hung stones in the sky. Old but still strong, I climb the stone. Sometime she will die. Climb the steep, rough steps alone and weep in the sky. Never weep, never weep. Tonight, dear, let's forget all that, that and the war and denial ourselves a little beyond time, you with this Irish whiskey, I with red wine, while the stars go over the sleepless ocean. And sometime after midnight, I'll pluck you a wreath of chosen ones. We'll talk about love and death, rock-solid themes, old and deep as the sea. Admit nothing more timely, nothing less real, while the stars go over the timeless ocean, and when they vanish, we'll have spent the night well. So one more minute in the dark, and then you're on deck, see? <coughs> we'll have the grand finale. In the dark. Cremation. It nearly cancels my fear of death, my dearest said, when I think of cremation. To rot in the earth is a loathsome end, but to roar up in flame. Besides, I'm used to it. I've flamed with love or fury so often. No wonder my body is tired. No wonder it is dying. We had great joy of my body, scatter the ashes.
few years before that, uh, Jeffers wrote for Dame Judith Anderson a play, uh, rewrote, uh, translated Medea from Euripides, and part of his translation involves uh, an observation made by the nurses observing Medea and some of her activities. <laughs> he said, ah, oh, a little love is, is like a cozy fire in a house. It warms the house, makes it all cozy. Nice. A great love is a fire that burns the roof beams. The door posts are flaming and the house falls. A great love is like a lion loose in the cattle pen. The heifers run, the herd goes mad, the heifers run bawling and the claws are in their flanks. Too much love is an armed robber in the treasury. He has killed the guards and walks in blood. Okay, lights and music. <laughs> on the silver beach, the bright moon is in my reach, willing girl with skin of pearl, but nobody knows the terms of the world, I won't touch her, for the tides run along her tender sides like foaming hounds, and oh, the long water might wash me under. I am a fisherman by trade and a drunkard, as they say. I dance alone to my own song. Doctor says I won't live long. Bowels, blench, and kidneys fret. Doctor, I'll live ten years yet. Drinking and dancing. Unless the long water wash me under. Life is short, but I have seen the bitter ends of better men. I have seen Michael and Lance Fraser and Bruce Ferguson swim to heaven. Long naked ghosts gleaming like fishes. Dead men walk on the hills like torches. Why should we cry for them? Some night or some morning we all wash under. Once I cried, and that's enough. I drew a girl into my skiff, a bright girl from the blue waves. She had not been dead three days. I combed her hair and kissed her feet. She was so quiet and so sweet. I cried my heart out and wished the long water would wash me under. I am by trade a hunter of fishes and a drunkard by conviction. I have a kettle hid in a rift under the great lifting cliff that I think might trouble the wise. Where did that drowned girl voyage from? Why did she die? On the blue water and foam, where did that girl voyage from? I never think, but I cry. She had a lover, I believe. Why did she die? He was false, or else a thief. She had a lover, I believe. Ah, it's better to drink than to cry. She 
she was too kind. They were too merry. Why did she die? She was too kind. They were too merry. Or was it death that swelled her belly? I never think but I cry. She wavered up through the green water like a moth fly. She came to my boat on the blue water as if she had been my only daughter. Drinking's better than crying, but oh, child, why? Said pickled in whiskey to pickled in brine. Dancing on the silver beach, bright moon is in my reach, willing girl with seemed curl. Nobody knows the turns of the world. The corruptions of war and peace, the public and wholesale crimes that make war, the greed in lies of the peace and victor's vengeance, how at a distance they soften into romance. Mountains and blossomed marshes in the long landscape of history. Caligula becomes an amusing clown, and Genghis a mere genius, a great author of tragedies. Our own times, chiefs of massacre. Stalin died yesterday. Watch how soon blood will bleach. Gross horror is a word in a book. We have little animals here, slow-stepping cousins of stoat and weasel, striped skunks that can spit from under their tails an odor so violent stifling that neither wolf nor wildcat dares near them. They walk in confidence, solely armed with this loathsome poison gas. But smelled far off? Have you noticed? It is surprisingly pleasant. It is like the breath of ferns and wet earth deep in a wooded glen in the Cool water glides quietly over the moss-grown stones. Quick trout dimple the pools. Distance makes clean.
unmistakably human and unmistakably a sea beast. He submerged and never came up again while we stood watching. I do not know what he was, and I have no theory. But this was the least of wonders. I have seen the United States grow up the strongest and wealthiest of nations and swim in the wind over bankruptcy. I have seen Europe for 2,500 years, the crown of the world become its beggar and cripple. I have seen my people, fooled by ambitious men and a froth of sentiment, waste themselves on three wars. None was required, all futile, all grandly victorious. A fourth is coming. I have seen the invention of human flight, a chief desire of man's dreaming heart for 10,000 years. And men have made it the chief of the means of massacre. I have seen the far stars weighed and their distance measured and the powers that make the atom put into service. For what? To kill. To kill half a million flies, uh, men I should say, at one slap. The Inquisitors occurs uh, in a valley, the south fork of the Little Sur uh, River. Uh, the man came over Boucher's Gap, a reliable witness, a man named Azevedo. Uh, some of the characters in this uh, Halloween-esque composition are taller than Pico Blanco. Inquisitors. Coming around a corner of the dark trail, what was wrong with the valley? Azevedo checked his horse and sat staring. It was all changed. It was occupied. There were three hills where none had been, and firelight flickered red on their knees between them, if they were hills. They were more like Red Indians around a campfire, grave and dark, mountain high, hams on heels, squatting around a little fire of hundred-foot logs. Azevedo remembers he felt an ice brook glide on his spine. He slipped down from the saddle and hid in the brush by the trail, above the black redwood forest. This was the Little Sur South Fork, its forest valley. Azevedo had come in at nightfall over Boucher's Gap, and a high moon hunted through running clouds. He heard the rumble of a voice, heavy, not loud, saying, I gathered some. You can inspect them. One of the hills moved a huge hand and poured its contents on a tabletop rock that stood in the firelight. Men and women fell out. Some crawled and some lay quiet. The hills leaned in to eye them. One said, it seems hardly possible such fragile creatures could be so noxious. Another answered, true, but we've seen. But it is only recently they have the power. The third answered, that bomb, that bomb, uh, and the rest. He reached across and picked up one of the mites from the rock and held it close to his eyes and very carefully with finger and thumbnail peeled it. By chance, a young female with long black hair was too helpless even to scream. He held it by one white leg and stared at it. I can see nothing strange, only so fragile. The third hill answered, we suppose it is something inside the head. And the other split the skull with his thumbnail, squinting his eyes and peering and said, a drop of morrow. How could that 
spoil the earth. Nevertheless, they have that balm. The glass and the fires are nothing, freckles on the earth. The emanations might set the whole planet into a tricky fever and destroy much. Themselves, let them. Why not? No. Life. Azevedo still watched in horror, and all three of the hills picked little animals from the rock, peeled them and cracked them, or toasted them on the red coals, or split their bodies from the crotch upward to stare inside. They said, it remains a mystery. However, it is not likely they can destroy all life. The planet is capacious. Life would surely grow up again from grubs in the soil or the newt and toad level and be beautiful again and again perhaps break its legs on its own cleverness. Who can forecast the future? The speaker yawned and with his flat hand brushed the rock clean. Slowly stood up, taller than Pico Blanco, into the sky. Their Indian beat heads in the moon clouds and trampled their watch fire out <coughs> and went away southward, stepping across the Ventana Mountains. stands in a glade of trees with a still inlet of blue ocean behind her. Just exactly she looked then, a forgotten flower in her hand, those great blue eyes asking and wondering. Now she is five years old and found herself. She does not ask anymore, but commands. <laughs> Sweet and fierce-tempered, that light red hair of hers is the fuse for explosions. When she is 18, I'll not be here. I hope she will find her natural elements, laughter and violence, and in her quiet times, the beauty of things, the beauty of transhuman things, without which we are all lost. I hope she will find powerful, protection, and a man like a hawk to cover her. To fling rainbows over the rain, and beauty above the moon, and secret rainbows on the domes of deep seashells, and make the necessary embrace of breathing beautiful also as fire. Not even the weeds to multiply without blossom, nor the birds without music. Divinely superfluous beauty. To storm dances of gulls. To barking game of seals. Over and under the ocean, divinely 
Finally, superfluous beauty rules the game. Presides over destiny. Makes trees grow and hills tower. Waves fall. The incredible beauty of joy stars with fire joining of lips. Oh, let our loves also be joined. There is not a maiden burns and thirsts for love more than my blood for you by the shore of seals while the wings weave like a web You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>